Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodities strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to the FIC Focus podcast, Macro Matters Edition. I'm Ira Jersey, the chief U.S. interest rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. We go to BNP Paribas' head of U.S. rate strategy, Will Marshall. Will, thanks very much for coming on the FIC Focus podcast. Hi, Ira. It's great to uh, be here with you today. Lots going on in markets, so excited <laughs> for our conversation. Yeah, so as we record here on the 21st of September, we had a, uh, a Fed meeting yesterday where um, Jay Powell, according to our uh, natural language processing Fed sentiment model, was basically still neutral, slightly less dovish. He wasn't really more hawkish. He was just less dovish. Um, but importantly, the summary of economic projections and the dot plot shifted pretty meaningfully in terms of the expectation for the economy and inflation by the Fed um, and, and uh, also reduced the number of expected interest rate cuts uh, basically by 50 basis points. So still sees um, the median dot on the dot plot still sees rates above 5% at the end of 2024. Um, and that's had a, a pretty negative effect, particularly in the long end of the of the market uh, here, uh, Will. You know, what, what are your thoughts? Do you think that the move is justified? Is uh, and, and are you concerned about higher rates? Or do you think that maybe we'll, uh, what we're just making, extending the range that we've had recently? Yeah. Uh, first, I think it's a, a good characterization of, of the moving parts from yesterday that you just laid out, Ira. Um, Obviously, the most striking thing, at least on the, the surface, was that shift to show meaningfully less, at least 50 basis points less, in the way of cuts next year, though I think it's worth noting that that was pretty kind of finely balanced in terms of where the median dot ultimately ended up. It would have just taken one uh, being, uh, being 25 basis points lower to have shifted uh, that to show three cuts instead of two. Um, but that framing of the shift, in particular on the growth side of things and the unemployment rate side of things, I think is, is critical in terms of how to think about, A, how the Fed is seeing the economic evolution, and B, what it told us about their reaction function. I think it's quite clear, and increasingly language certainly from the chair has skewed in this direction, that the Fed thinks soft landing is achievable. And it's quite understandable that if they think there's a path to that, with inflation coming down without particularly uh, material damage to the labor market, that's a good thing to, to aim for. With the shift in, in uh, policy, I guess, you know, talk a little bit about the market reaction and if you think it's an overreaction, an appropriate reaction, in particular, the, the uninversion of the yield curve a little bit with the long end selling off while the front yeah. end's been relatively stable, at least in the first 24 hours since the meeting. Yeah, I mean, the initial move yesterday was a was more of a front end led move. And I think that, that what what I was going to say, I think, was the meaningful thing that we learned in Fed reaction function is inflation coming down on its own is not necessarily sufficient to make the Fed feel comfortable that they can start to start to cut rates quickly. Right. The, the shift in the dots was framed by an unchanged inflation forecast for next year slightly lower inflation forecast for this year. So implicitly, that is a higher uh, real policy rate that they are are projecting, framed by the fact that they think growth is going to be good. And so that's a set of circumstances where 
there is a case for caution. I think there were some in the market that thought that benign disinflation, so to speak, would be enough to get uh, the Fed on its way and cutting a bit more quickly. And so I think that essentially reducing that path, so to speak, helps, in my view, to frame some of the price action. Now, as you know, we're breaking to new highs. Today is more of a medium to long-term yield uh, led move. And I think that after that initial wave of kind of reassessment of what the Fed is telling us, there are potentially other factors that are uh, that are that are kicking in. But I think some of that may be a bit more technical in nature. Certainly, you see uh, at longer maturities, uh, swaps are uh, have been leading the move today. Um, so in moves like this, especially given the point you made on potentially breaking to a slightly wider range, um, you can get that type of uh, type of more technical paying or, or selling activity. I think many in the market thought that we were in the process of consolidating into a new higher range for yields and breaking out of that environment can be painful and, uh, and volatile. And I think that that's some of what we're seeing at the moment. Admittedly, I was one of those people who thought that we were probably going to be range bound between kind of four and four thirty five or so uh, for for a you while. And me both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, um, you know, and 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 I agree that you know there's going to be probably technical moves, basically people stopping out of longs. Um, you know, as we get toward you know as we've gotten above four forty, say uh, on the ten year yield. Um, you know, the interesting. I guess one of the interesting aspects of this and one of the narratives that some people have been telling is how much of this move may also be related at least a little bit to longer term fears over things like um, uh, a continued deficits, higher uh, the, the need for additional supply by the Treasury Department and, uh, you know, some of the, um, you know, even angst coming out of, of Washington, D.C. I think there's a little bit of confusion among non-rate participants about what a government shutdown means. Government shutdown is meaningfully different than the debt ceiling issue that we had earlier this year. Uh, for, for the Treasury market and Treasury market function, it means absolutely nothing, whereas the debt ceiling obviously uh, could have led to a default, um, a, a technical or otherwise. Um, you know, the uh, government shutdown doesn't do that. Um, so, so is there is there a supply aspect to this? Do you think, or is that more of an excuse as opposed to actually a root cause of of some of the moves in the long end? Yeah, I I think that if we expand our window from just the last uh, last twenty four hours to the last call it month and a half or so. Uh, there has been a supply aspect in my view. I think that there was a bit of a wake-up call in the early part of August uh, that prompted a broader uh, reconciliation of the fact that issuance needs are quite elevated. The deficit has surprised persistently to the upside versus what most had forecast for this year, Treasury included. And where a lot of that for the first uh, first call it 10 months of the fiscal year uh, had come from more bill supply, that is tilting, right? So we are going from a world of basically replacing lost or draining liquidity with short-term paper, which ultimately has a, a relatively benign effect. It's kind of a more of a rotational story at the front end of the curve to now one of high deficits even higher funding needs to the public because of QT and growing reliance on long-term issuance. 
I would argue that a lot of that should now be in the price. I think that kind of recent price action, I'm skeptical that it is so heavily attributable to the, the supply story specifically. And in fact, you know, the, the evidence, at least so far from the auctions, has been relatively solid in terms of end user end user demand. There may be an eventual kind of flow effect materializes as that stock accumulates. But to the, to the extent that there was kind of a surprise that had to uh, drive a bit of a reassessment of the, the outlook, I think a lot of that has, has already occurred. So I would tend to come down on the side of, uh, of, of thinking that near term or more recent price action is, is related to other factors. So one of the questions that I'm often asked, and you'd be the perfect person to speak with, given you know the, the breadth of of customers that you speak with, uh, which you know I know the Venn diagram of that is quite close to mine as well. But you know what have you heard from um, you know a variety of investors, both domestically and internationally, about their propensity of demand, you know inflows that they're getting for institutional investors? Um, because one of the questions that I always get is. Who is going to be the primary buyer of uh, Treasury securities as the deficits continue to increase over the next uh, over the next couple of years? Yeah, it's a great uh, great question, and certainly has been one of, if not the main focal points for for the market um, in the last two months. But but even longer than that, it's been certainly on people's radar. I think in general, where things are tracking at the moment is is a reasonably broad interest in buying treasuries, but a, a clear desire for something that gives investors confidence to do so. So much of this year, the discussion about the case for owning treasuries, and this was true at much lower yield levels than are prevailing today, has been one about, well, we think that the cyclical aspects of uh, of where we, we stand today, argue for starting to own more duration, starting to kind of embrace those late cycle trades of, of, of steepening and, and being bullish the front end. And certainly those have been things that at points in time have been well subscribed. Uh, but there's a recognition that those have also been very costly to sit in. And having been burned, so to speak, or, or faced challenges in those positions, I think that there has been this, this stronger desire for essentially a, a sign that, okay, now is the time there is scope for things to actually start to outperform what is already priced in to the curve. Um, and the last few months, I think the other complicating factor in that has been growth and economic activity data has been fairly solid. Uh, things are tracking well. We've seen forecasts across, uh, across the street, the revised higher uh, firms step away from recession calls. Um, and I think that that's also kind of reflected in the market and has a bearing on at least at what levels investors would be comfortable um, comfortable with stepping in. So I think there's a conditionality to a lot of these discussions. The other piece that I would, would also note is that with international investors, the inversion of the curve, and it's not twos, tens so much as it's three-month or six-month tens comes up a lot because, as Ira, I know, you know, FX hedge costs are quite high, quite punitive. Um, and to kind of make the math work and be sensible, uh, 
you either need higher yields or you need cuts to cuts to begin to help to disinvert the curve. This move has helped with that on some fronts. The move over the last uh, last month and a half or so. Um, if you look at U.S. versus Germany, for example, things look on much more equal footing. Um, but if you put things on a on a chart versus, say, Japan, uh, it's still quite challenging. And so I think there are these these economic incentives that potentially need to shift, uh, and there are, is a plausible case for them shifting over the coming years that may have a meaningful bearing on what that global demand picture looks like. So in the beginning of the, our conversation, you mentioned things like the real yield increasing because if the Fed holds at you know five and three quarters on the upper bound, uh, assuming that they hike one more time this year, and then inflation comes down, you just have a bigger gap. So the, the real Fed funds rate goes up. But let's talk about real yields more generally. Like how do you, yeah. how does BNP in general think about real yields? What real yield matters? Um, obviously tips yields, you know, five-year tips yields above 2%, 10-year tips yields around, around 2%. You know, we haven't had those kind of real yields, obviously, since in the last 15 years. So, um, you know, is there is there a case to be made that real yields can stay at these levels for a long time and that at some point it's going to be inflation expectations that continue to move around and move the nominal growth? Or will it still be, as it has been basically for the last year, all real yield moves that that end up moving nominals? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think that that nom- that inflation component comparative stability is is in some ways a, a testament to to the the ultimate credibility that that I think the Fed has managed to retain uh, in, in in large part on on eventually getting things uh, back back under control um, and and anchored I would tend to be of the mindset that further volatility from here and certainly our house view is one that is consistent with a move lower in yields on a three to six month horizon will largely come from real yields. But I do think that a compression in inflation expectations uh, or traded inflation could uh, could reasonably have a have a role to play. Break evens have performed reasonably well of uh, of late, but our analysis argues that 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 move has been largely consistent with the nature of the oil move and the supply specific uh, aspect of, of, of this move, this move higher in a negative, uh, a negative, more negative demand environment, one where core inflation is moderating and you go from kind of supply drivers to demand drivers on the energy side of things that would set up a more bearish outlook for, for, uh, for, for break evens. Ultimately, I, I tend to think that that it is the that the brunt of of, uh, of the outlook will be felt more on the real side. But the last thing that I would note is longer term real yields and longer term nominal yields as, as well, kind of implicitly, are uh, potentially going to prove somewhat sticky in our view in a in in any sort of economic downturn. The reason for that, we think, is a magnitude of the downturn may be somewhat modest, and b, uh, really, this move higher in yields I would view as a correction from levels that were too low, as opposed to an overshoot. Now, the last few days maybe we're getting closer to a bit of an overshoot, but I think in broad strokes, tens 
ending this year in that 4.2, 4.3% type of range seems entirely reasonable. Uh, and kind of those intermediate and longer term forwards proving somewhat stable in a downturn would also seem to me to be somewhat reasonable, provided we're not talking about a, a downturn that's taking policy rates back to say 1% or lower. It's more of a, a, a benign uh, by at least recent historical standards type of recession. So last uh, question and last topic that I, I'd like to hit on today is something that I was asked a lot about by customers when I visited them uh, last week on the West Coast, and, and that was balance sheet policy and quantitative tightening. Um, so Jay Powell has been asked several times about quantitative tightening, not, not, not this press conference, but prior press conferences. He mentioned that the balance sheet runoff could continue even while the Federal Reserve was cutting interest rates, um, you know, Technically, that's possible. The question, I guess, is: is that you know, do you, how do you see uh, balance sheet policy uh, 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 progressing over the next year or two? Uh, you know, will runoff continue through twenty twenty four? Will the Fed have to stop at some point for technical reasons? And and you know, what are those? And what's your expectation for potential market reaction, both I guess in risk assets and obviously in, in our markets and the rates market in particular? Yeah. Uh... A good, a good question, and, and certainly one of, in some ways, one of the more difficult ones to to have fully predicted, uh, at least in my view, this uh, this year, and 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 really since since early June, where I would argue that the process of broad liquidity draining, so not just taking reserves out, but kind of the the RRP plus reserves uh, perspective, has gone really well. Um, the, the extent of pressure on funding costs has been limited. The extent of, uh, of cheapening in treasuries on asset swap has been, uh, has been relatively contained, certainly versus what many in the market were expecting. And, and the, the reserve picture has been a, a relatively stable one. So I think that's the backdrop, the liquidity picture and how that process is evolving, the fact that our key balances are not proving especially sticky, um, is that that is, I think, consistent with the, the potential for uh, for QT to extend um, somewhat beyond where we as a house have the first Fed rate cut. Our, our baseline is for that first cut to be uh, in June of next year. And I think I think seeing QT, at least in some form, uh, go through the, the course of 2024 seems entirely uh, entirely reasonable given how things are going. I think the question that uh, the way that you framed the question, Ira, on the, the the other risks, so maybe not necessarily liquidity, but something breaking, that would be to me the, the clearest uh, clearest source of of, uh, of 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 risk that that things things stop uh, a bit earlier. We've seen instances of essentially uh, difficulty with absorbing treasury supply. That that doesn't necessarily have to be an auction, but it can be if there is some sort of shock that causes a uh, particularly one-way uh, uh, or, or, or directional um, burst of activity. And so the things that I think will be bear watching will be things like uh, accumulation of inventories on dealer balance sheets. That's another thing that has been so far comparatively stable. Uh, you haven't seen 
a huge build, for example, in, in net bill holdings, even though there's been a huge amount of bill supply, how that shakes out on the coupon side as we're getting more issuance out the curve, I think will be a useful barometer. Um, you saw that build up through the course of 2018 uh, and eventually come off only once the Fed started uh, buying in meaningful size at the onset of COVID. And so I think that it's really things like that, where it's essentially what you're looking at is an erosion of, of intermediation capacity that to me would, would potentially force pose uh, a, a clearer, clearer risk um, in, in the event of, of some sort of exogenous shock to, to arguing for, for that, that risk around QT being, being a, a slightly earlier end than the liquidity uh, picture alone would, would suggest. That's great. Uh, that was uh, Will Marshall. He is the head of U.S. rate strategy at BNP Paribas. Will, where can people find uh, find your research? Uh, you know, this is a relatively new seat for you, having come from Goldman Sachs uh, via Credit Suisse, where you and I worked uh, together quite closely for a number of years. Uh, so talk to us about, uh, you know, if people want, want to follow you, become customers of BNP, how do they do so? Yeah, certainly. So uh, always the, the best bet is to reach out to whoever is your, your sales representative across, uh, across any, of, uh, any of the products. Uh, we do have a, a research portal with a lot of, uh, a lot of great content that, that we are continuing to, to, to build out. Um, and, and so I think those are, with, uh, with those of us in strategy, always the most, most reliable first ports of call. Thanks very much. On behalf of Will Marshall, I've been Ira Jersey, the Chief Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. And uh, if you have any ideas for topics or individuals you'd like us to speak with about the rates market or just about any other market in the macro side of things, please hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal. Uh, until next time, be well.